This episode of ACDC Beyond the Thunder is dedicated to Joel Wartman, family, friend, and fellow ACDC kindred spirit. Rock and peace, Joel. You're listening to ACDC Beyond the Thunder. The podcast with the biggest balls of all. With your hosts, Greg Squires and Greg Ferguson. It's time to rock. It's the one and only podcast featuring extraordinary fans who get to salute this extraordinary band. ACDC Beyond the Thunder, talking with famous actors, authors, athletes, comedians, professors, military war heroes, and in this case, even investment managers. Case in point, Wade Sickler, president and senior investment manager at Sickler Capital LLC from Bozeman, Montana, who doubled down for the chance of a lifetime to receive a one-on-one guitar lesson from none other than Angus Young. How did he pull that off? Well, given that Wade is pretty good with juggling cash, let's just say we could easily title this episode Money Talks. Ladies and gentlemen, we welcome Wade Sickler to ACDC Beyond the Thunder. Wade, thanks for being here. Uh, Glad to be here. Thank you. Let me set this up for our listeners. Back at the turn of the century, it was a really good time to be an ACDC fan. Not only did they release a fun new album called Stiff Upper Lip, in February of 2000, but ACDC were uncharacteristically embracing popular culture like never before. The first time they ever appeared on Saturday Night Live, they were on VH1, Behind the Music, they were on ACDC Fan Club, and then, almost unheard of, performing live on MTV, or as Brian Johnson declared it, in the hallowed halls of hip-hop. And while I was watching, yes, I was watching ACDC on MTV, and the band are taking questions, and in between playing live, all of a sudden, the MTV host, which was Dave Holmes, cuts to a story of how just a week prior, one fan plunked down a sizable amount of cash to sit down for a guitar lesson with Angus Young. And Wade, that was you. Yes, it was. And um, it was a great moment to be there. It was a dream come true. And a science fiction writer couldn't make this stuff up. (laughs) Tell us about the origin of how that life-changing auction came to fruition. Well, uh, do you want the short version or the long version? Uh, let's, Let's see where this goes. It was for, what was the charity? Let's start off with that. It's a Nordic Robbins uh, Musical Institute for Charities. So musical therapy has been shown to demonstrate benefits to people, which makes a whole lot of sense to people who are suffering, you know, severe illnesses. And so the Nordic Robbins Institute for Music, all the money went there. And um, so it was all for a good cause, but it was uh, it was a teenage dream of mine, and that was fulfilled. And uh, it, it took a band like ACDC to make it happen. So this is when eBay was in its infancy, and, it, and it's an auction online, correct? Correct. And so I was an ACDC fan going way, way, way back. So I was a huge ACDC fan. Everybody knew about it. That was sort of my uh, identity. 
But I was at the same time uh, a hedge fund manager, which is a complicated term for saying someone who tries to make money on upside and downside of markets. So when word came out of this, I was 34, had a money management firm at that time, but I heard about this ACDC uh, eBay contest where you could win a guitar lesson with Angus Young. And I'd never had an eBay account. I remember that. It, it was in its infancy. And this is around the time of the dot-com bubble as, re- as well, right? It was a dot-com bubble. And it was right at the peak of the dot-com bubble when all this went down. So that created a whole lot of um, uh, volatility to the whole issue. Work came out and you know I was doing well. I grew up at a working class family. Did have money growing up. I had a baseball glove and a bat and a basketball and a football, so I was happy. Long story short, it's the year 2000, and ACDC or Electra Records, who was a record label at that time, right. announced this contest. And so I thought, wow, guitar lesson with Angus. And I've been playing, going back 17, 18 years, I've you know, been sitting in my home uh, or my parents home <laughs> in my bedroom you know teaching myself how to play the guitar and that was back in the days of fast forward rewind and pick up the needle and back it up and i can't tell you how many hours i spent doing that but it was a it was a daily nightly regimen and so i'll fast forward many years later you know i've this acdc opportunity presents itself so i log on to ebay it's a week-long you know uh bidding auction auction excuse me see i don't know the vernacular and uh <laughs> and and so for about six five six seven you know days the price remains relatively stable and low and like what price was it hovering around i think it was hovering around eight or ten thousand uh for a while okay. i think it started like four five six thousand and then the Which final is pretty day, high back then for 2000. That's that's a chunk of change. That's pretty high. Yeah. You know, this is March, which is top of the internet bubble. And there's volatility going on crazy. And I'm so I'm sitting in front of a, I'm, I'm a computer and I have a home office and I have a money management firm and I have an assistant there. And so we come to day seven of the auction and the price starts going up. And so I'm just feeling my way through this thing. Right. So you're still trying to figure out eBay and how it works. Exactly. I was just feeling my way through all this. I really didn't know what's going on. And there was other ACDC auctions for other prizes there that I was bidding on as well. And I'm just hitting all tab, all tab, all tab (laughs) between (laughs) the computer stock screen and the eBay screen. So as it, so as the morning progressed, the price kept going up, and soon it was ten thousand, and it was eleven thousand, and twelve thousand, and it, like, okay, I, you know, someone out there is bidding against me. I didn't know. We're getting near to the deadline. At the same time, you know, I'm trading stocks. Really <laughs> wild volatility. I'm shorting. I'm betting on stocks going down. I'm betting on them going up. I'm playing options. I'm selling stuff short. So there's and a little, little bit of stress going on. A lot of stress going on. I think the eBay contest ended the same time as the market closed on the, with the <laughs> West Coast. And I can't remember exactly, wow. but it was just crazy. The price kept going up and I'd, and I'd raise it. And so I started raising the price, you know, 200 above where it was last. And then that was quickly raised. And then I learned, figured out, raise it 500 above where last and that was raised. And I learned how to raise wow. $1,000 above. So as we're getting down to the 
deadline, looking over my assistant and saying, should, should I sell short Excite, or which was the internet stock at the time, a search engine, or should I buy this? And she said, do both. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and uh, so <laughs> follow your gut, she says. When you, your gut is always right. This guy kept raising the price going up 18000 to 20000 22000 24000 Wow. And it just kept going up, and I put in a bid for like twenty-seven thousand. Someone bid twenty-eight thousand. Oh my god! Said, and I just and and I'm trading stocks at the same time. I said fuck it, and I put in a bid for forty thousand dollars. What? Like with like thirty seconds or a minute to go. Forty thousand dollars. Forty thousand. I said I looked over to my assistant, who's awesome. I said, you know. We're gonna do this right. Fuck it. And so I thought, let's just let's just see what he's you know how committed he is. And right. and so he stopped at twenty eight thousand apparently his bid, and I got it for twenty eight one. <laughs> oh my god, that's insane. That's insane. I gotta ask now, whose money were you bidding with? Was that your clients or your own money? Oh, uh, completely my own money, of course. Okay, just to make sure. So after you you won, what happened? Did you did you get a, a contact from someone immediately? After I won and the and the bidding stopped and then the market closed, I looked over my assistant and I said, "Did that just happen?" <laughs> and then like a couple minutes later, I got a call from Electro Records and he said, "You know, uh, congratulations, you won. You won on this other thing too. You know, I don't want this to come across wrong, but you know, I just want to make sure you can pay for this." <laughs> Yeah, pay up, buddy. How much? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so we talked a little bit, and then the phone rang about three, four minutes later, and it was MTV calling. Okay. They were with ACDC down in the Virgin Bookstore at the time. Oh, no kidding. Yeah, they were down there at the bookstore at the time, right down there in Times Square. So I've been there a lot, yep. and I, suddenly I'm live on MTV. Wow. And With ACDC? With ACDC. So I'm on live with them and they're asking me questions and I respond back to them. And the band is, you know, just talking and, and it's another surreal episode. I'm a stock guy. The market's going crazy. I just, <laughs> I just bought a lot of stuff on eBay and it's going for a good cause. Don't get right, me wrong. Right. But it's like, I'm, this is all sort of like dizzying. Right. So yeah, I'm on the phone with them. You know, they're talking about the new album stiff upper lip and angus chimed in last you know student the marketing bit you know that's the title song of the album right right and um <laughs> and so we talk for a while and we hang up and and i look over at my assistant again like are did that just happen <laughs> i grew up a, in a working class family and you just spent twenty eight thousand dollars for a guitar lesson <laughs> for a guitar lesson but it was like it was still surreal i can't this is actually happening Wow. And I'm talking to Angus Young over the phone with MTV. You know, the market had closed. This is all that happened. And then I went about my day and then wake up the next morning. And I'm an early morning riser. Always have been because of this, you know, the market stuff. And the phone rings at 5 a.m. I pick up the phone and it's a radio station. Heard about the news, read about the news. They want to interview me. Okay. So I talked with them and then I hung the phone down and then the phone rang again. And the phone kept ringing off the hook. And they went on and kept going all day long. And this kept going on and on and on because I was supposed to, you know, I'm flying out to meet ACDC the next week. And right. so I'm giving all these radio interviews. And that in itself became a big 
time-consuming task, an enjoyable one. Right. You know, which I, I would have radio producers calling me up and saying, okay, we would like you to play the guitar for us. Oh, no kidding. Yeah. How fun. That was fun. So I would, um, I had a speakerphone, landline days and everything else. And I would sit on the floor and then start playing songs on the radio for requests. And some of these radio stations were like, <laughs> you know, syndicated big radio stations. So I don't know who else, who else playing wow. but a lot of radio stations. Right. Your 15 minutes of fame have started. Yeah. I never sought it. I never cared, cared about it. I just like, you know, I was a big ACT fan. And uh, suddenly I'm going to go jam with them and get a guitar lesson from Angus. And uh, that's all I cared about. So harking back, literally I grew up in, in a small town in Montana. And, and when I was nine or 10 visiting some relatives, I heard someone playing the 12 bar blues on the acoustic guitar. And um, I was captivated. So fast forward three, four years or so, and I'm back home, and my parents have a guitar. I pick up the acoustic guitar and start playing the 12-bar blues. I just love it, and I'm not doing it correctly. I'm not doing it right. I don't have the uh, the feel, the sound right, and all that stuff, but it just continues to morph and morph and morph. And then I'm 15, and I buy the album Hard Again by Muddy Waters and Johnny Winter. Oh, one of my favorites. One of my favorites. And I hear Manish Boy. And off that, whoa. Da, 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 yeah. And so good. I'm in love. I'm in love with the blues. And so good. Fast forward, you know, rocking out to ACC, the rock and roll blues, George Thurgood, Stevie Ray Vaughan. I cannot tell you how much joy that has brought to me. Well, that, that album alone, um, I don't know if you knew this, but Malcolm Young referenced that album, Hard Again, by Muddy Waters as the sound he was trying to capture for Flick of the Switch. He loved that album so much. So that's cool you bring that up. Uh, I, you know, I didn't know that story, but I will say Flick of the Switch is one of the most unheralded and underrated rock albums of all time. Uh, when Flick of the Switch came out and they had recorded a couple of albums, well, three albums with Mutt Lang, and for those of us that rock was an, you know, an arduous process, you know, they just wanted to simplify it and down to the bare bones, right. which they did. And that album was just immense. I cannot tell you how many times I played, you know, I wore out, I, you know, I wore out albums and cassettes to, to, um, to that album and it's just amazing so if you go back to the album and hear brian scream his lungs off at the end to landslide or brain shake or whatever that's just you know incredible flick the switch came out when i went to my first acdc concert i had to drive 700 miles with a friend to, to see it yeah i was gonna say because you're originally you're from montana so it's not an easy to be an acdc fan if you live in montana right i mean you're traveling distances to go see these guys yeah it's 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 a tough bill you know back to the old days records would be delivered to the music store on tuesday yeah so i knew all everybody in the town who had a record store that they knew to call me as soon as the album came in when new acdc records came out cool <laughs> you know i lived in bozeman montana i learned later you know that acdc had played in billings a couple two and a half hours away 
Oh, okay. yeah, for Ted Nugent. Oh, no kidding. Yeah, that's another story. But I'd have to drive, <laughs> you know, with friends long distances from Bozeman to Denver to uh, Spokane to uh, Casper, Wyoming. Wow. You traveled to all those places to go see ACDC? Yeah, there was no doubt about it. ACDC is t- coming to tour around and just I would go to see them and drive all night, drive all the way back. Wow. So you're a committed ACDC fan and, and traveling distances. So traveling to Manhattan was to, to go play with your hero is, is just must have been just so mind boggling for you. So tell us about that day. How, do, how did it go down? You, they put you up in a hotel? Uh, no, I, I put myself up in a hotel. And I've, oh my God, they figured you could afford it. Yeah, flew out there in style, stayed there in style, and got there a couple of days early in advance of it, and a new CD came out. So I'm sitting in this, this suite in Manhattan, and I brought out my guitar and, and a small amp that I could play on. Okay. And so I'm teaching myself all these songs off the new CD. Fun. And the gal I brought out at the time saying, you know, let's go, you know, see the city. <laughs> and we did a little, <laughs> we did that a little bit, but I'm like, no, I've got to like learn this stuff. I was told that someone would come pick us up, an MTV production crew. Oh, fun. Went down to the lobby, meet with these guys. They interviewed me on the, uh, in, in a cab ride to the studio that ACDC was practicing at. And then we walked in. Again, it's kind of surreal. Yes. I'm about to meet ACDC. Backing up just a little bit more, when I was in high school, I, you know, I was, I'd say to friends, you know, I was the big ACDC guy. Um, I didn't have a mullet. <laughs> I was a bus boy, you know, at JB's Big Boy. And I played a lot of sports. I was playing sports all the time. I wanted to be a professional athlete. And then I realized that's just not going to happen. Here I am walking into this um, studio. So there's all these people hanging outside the studio and you hear the band practicing. Because wow. um, they're going to go on to MTV, as you alluded to before. You know, they're coming out now yeah. at the urging of the record label. And they talked about this. You know, they need to come out of their shell just a little bit. I know Angus and Malcolm don't like to do interviews. Correct. All the stuff that they would never do before, even though they're still a secretive band, which lends to their mystery. Right. And um, so I'm sitting out standing outside the studio and all these people are out there with cameras and microphones. And so <laughs> they open the door in the studio. This is a kid, you know, who grew up, who was 15, 16, you know, wore his Angus Young outfit for Halloween. Yeah. It's a dream come true. I can only imagine. And, uh, you know, stepping into this big studio and the band's all there and MTV is recording this and other stations are recording this other networks are recording this and i'm meeting angus young and he gives me a cherry red you know gibson sg it's a signature color and all that stuff i had brought my gibson sg that i bought when i was 17 and when you said he gives you he he literally gives it to you he opens the case and he picks up the car and says this is for you and i'm like you've got to be kidding me (laughs) That's incredible. So you're, and they're probably psyched that you were not just a real fan, but also you could play guitar. They right? didn't know if whoever won the contest was a real fan or not, or just some rich guy who was trying to stroke his ego. Right, well, right. Showed up, could speak English, much less play the guitar. <laughs> True. So I asked him some questions in front of some cameras. You know, they prompted me for some questions to ask him. 
And then uh, Angus and I moved over to a couple of stools, and there was a guitar technician there who plugged me in, started playing back and forth, you know, and Angus goes, you know, if you're more comfortable playing your guitar that you brought, I said, you know, I brought my guitar. It's not a cherry red yeah. one like you frequently play on. So I put down the guitar that he gave me and started playing my own guitar. Um, cool. and, uh, and then we started trading off riffs. We're sitting on two stools. There's, you know, a drum kit, speakers, and everything else uh, are sitting around. And it's just Angus. All the other guys cleared out. All the other guys cleared out, and they're back in the room with the media. Okay. And you said, you're, you know, being an investment manager is a highly stressful gig, but this must have been extremely stressful for you. This, this was stressful, but um, the first mm -hmm. thing I did when we sat down with Angus was to start playing Meltdown. Oh, cool. And Angus leans over and goes, no, you're playing that wrong, right? <laughs> no, he I, no, he smiled. I was playing oh, it correctly. That's great. That doesn't mean I don't play a lot of stuff incorrectly there, but I was playing it correctly. <laughs> he just smiled at me. His eyes lit up. Oh, that's fun. We moved then from uh, chord lessons to everything else to like just start playing songs off the new album back and forth. Wow. He must have been psyched that you had learned that already. I can't speak for Angus. You know, he didn't know what he was getting himself into. Sure. But a real fan showed up playing their songs. Wow. And so then I started playing um, Can't Hold Me Back. Oh, love that song. Love that song. Great boogie beat song. Just love it. Yes. And uh, Brian walks over, picks up the mic, and leans into me. And Brian starts singing a song. Oh, wow. Now that's surreal, man. That's real. Like, Brian's leaning into me, singing a song. To go on to learn, Brian's a really gregarious, friendly, super sweet guy. Absolutely. Absolutely. And Phil jumped on the drums. Oh, too much, man. You were Malcolm. I was Malcolm at the time. I, you know, I'm a, I'm a poor boy's Malcolm. <laughs> well, I wouldn't use the word poor. No, but uh, I'm, a, you know, I'm, I'm just trying to do my best to imitate the late, great Malcolm. Right. And then, you know, we're playing different DC songs like Whole Lot of Rosie, uh, new songs off the album, uh, Highway to Hell. And wow. when we got to the solo to Highway to Hell, okay, let me just back up a little bit. So playing in a lot of bands growing up, it's kind of stressful when you're playing with a new bunch of guys they haven't played with before. Mm -hmm. Fast forward many years, and here I am sitting on the stool across from Angus Young, and the band is playing, and Brian is singing, <laughs> and I'm playing with How them. How fun is that? Wow. It's crazy. You know what the thing is, though? is like... Um, you play with a lot of different bands. There's usually something off. The drummer's a little off tempo. The bass player's not, you know, locked in or whatever else. Those guys were like airtight. Uh, I bet that's what makes that band an amazing band because there's everyone says how simple ACDC is, but you try to replicate ACDC. There's something about their tightness and their ability to just play in the pocket. It's just, and you know, and you're their front row literally playing in the band you you saw it firsthand yeah it, they're just locked in and particularly with phil on the drums it's like so when you have that phenomenal bass uh built in you know bass of the ingredients of a great rock and roll band then you can grow from there so that allows angus to you know to do his voodoo do his magic but a lot of bands wow. don't even get to that point to grow from no 
No. I was just trying to, you know, keep up with them. So they made it easy for me. We were playing the highway to hell. This may seem kind of audacious. So when we got to the guitar solo part of highway to hell, you know, I motioned Angus and with my finger, you know, right finger, pick finger back, you know, back to myself, I'll play it. And I started playing the, the solo for, you know, highway to hell. Oh, wow. You took Angus's job. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> I, that was, I think it was that kind of audacity that allowed me to get there in the first place. He probably loved it. Yeah. He's like, oh, wow, this guy's got some balls. I love it. Yeah. Big balls. It takes big balls <laughs> to sit across from Angus and play the guitar back and forth. He was looking at the neck and my fingers, you know, studiously. Of course, I didn't do half justice of what he would do. You know, at the end of the song, there's tremolo playing that I was doing wrong, and he showed me how to do it correctly. So I learned a bunch. So it was truly a lesson. I love it. Yeah, that's cool. It was truly a lesson. Yeah. And so uh, how how long did this experience last from start to finish? And, and can you break it down for us in dollars and cents per hour? <laughs> um, I can't break that down. It was 28 one to do that, I spent a bunch of money flying there and back. Oh, right. You got to add that in. And there was another auction to be present for the Total Request Live that MTV, that Angus and the band were going to play on. Right. I won a spot for that. That was a couple more thousand dollars. Oh, okay. So I bid on that as well. And then when I showed up, they said, uh, the record label guy said, you know, we were just going to give you give that to you, you know, anyway. I know. It's like, might as well throw that in anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so, so there was another couple thousand that went to good cause. Very good. So you, and you said you, you've never been an autograph guy, but you must've gotten that SG signed, right? I've never been an autograph guy. I've never asked a person for an autograph in my life. Uh, but I, I knew that I had to get my you know, SG that I've had since I was 17 that I bought used. And I knew Angus would do his signature and, and devil schoolboy outfit thing that he would do. Oh, he drew the little caricature too? He drew that too. And where's that guitar today? That guitar today is uh, locked away very uh, securely. But it's the only <laughs> guitar that I play these days. Oh, that's fun. I've been playing on the same guitar since I was 17. I, I, I remember seeing a segment on CNN and it had mentioned you had uh, plunked down 28,000 for this lesson with Angus for um, a good cause. And it, it mentioned that you were busboy turned money manager at 34 years old from Seattle, and which was a pretty impressive amount of cash back then. But I, it also had like a little uh, few sound bites from Angus. And he said something like, he knows a lot of our songs or something like that. And I think he told CNN that, you know, he taught you a few party tricks or something like that. Do you remember any other quotes? That quote, he said, yeah, um, you know, he knows the stuff. He knows the cool licks. You know, I'm trying yeah. to show him a few little party bits. And right. um, and he did show me some cool stuff that I, you know, that when you're listening to the album, you just can't pick up. But, like, I, I can't stress this enough. If you're a sports fan, when you sit front row, you see stuff that you just ordinary humans, you know, can't do. I've sat in front row at NBA games and tennis matches and everything else. But sitting in front row with Angus Young was, he makes <laughs> such amazing sound and riffs yeah. look easy. Yeah, it's almost like it reminds me of um, B.B. Uh, uh, King. He's just got that sound that you know who it is immediately. 
uh, he has a distinctive sound, and so you know exactly, literally, when the moment an ACDC song comes on, that is ACDC. Yes, there are a lot of imitators out there that that uh, that do a very good job of imitating ACDC. And, and they try, but, you know, there's a lot of great guitars, but no one else can replicate them. No one else can produce right, a magic right. like Malcolm and Ingus. And people can right. try, whether Slash or Ted Nugent or whatever, no one else can replicate it. No, it's got that great vibrato sound. And I, you know that saying, you, you never meet your heroes. But I think in this case... Um, it's safe to say that no one would be disappointed meeting Angus and Malcolm Young. They're just such down-to-earth guys, and, and the whole band, for that matter. Um, and you had mentioned something to me that Malcolm was watching you play with Angus, and Malcolm said, Angus looks more stressed out than you are. <laughs> and what did you say? <laughs> you know, there's a warning, never meet your heroes. But if you're right. heroes or uh, ACDC, you're going to be pleasantly surprised. You're safe. You're safe. They're so down to earth. They are such good guys. And I would meet, you know, at meet and greets, uh, different record label people said, these guys haven't changed in 25, 30 years. I mean, right. they're the same guys. They came, they, you know, they, they're from a working class family. And they worked their butt off. They they earned it the hard way, the old-fashioned way, by touring. And they're the same guys. They'll bend over backwards to accommodate their yeah. uh, to make their good fans happy. And that's not just in the uh, in the in the meet and greet or whatever. But like that's Angus on stage. Not only does he love it, but he's like working his tail off to yeah. entertain Still. the fans. Not because he needs to. It's because he loves it, but he's literally doing it because he sincerely cares what the fans think. That's a, it's a big difference between really going is. out there doing it for money and doing it because you feel an obligation to, to get the people what they paid for. So after this guitar lesson and everything else, I'm sitting there with Angus doing his interviews, and Malcolm, who's you know behind the cameras in the corner of the studio, says, Hey, Angus. He's less nervous than you are. <laughs> and I looked over at Angus and I said, I drink battery acid every morning. This is easy. <laughs> they must have loved that response. He must have. He looked at me like, huh? He must have not got a frame of reference. <laughs> so the, the battery acid reference was to, bigger speech was to, I'm in a money management business. I, I manage hedge funds. It's really right. intensely stressful. And how long did that session last? We were there for an hour and a half, a couple hours. Oh, that's great. I was going to say, if it was 20 minutes, I'd be like bummed out a little bit. But yeah, that's that's a good chunk of time. So let's fast forward to ACDC on MTV Live in their studio following that guitar lesson. Angus and the boys were being interviewed by the VJ and classically dodging questions like, who are you listening to now? And I think they asked Corn, Limp Biscuit, like bands like that. And Angus says... The Rolling Stones, which is a classic, classic statement. And I think the last contemporary guitar player that Angus ever admitted listening to was, quote, that guy who just died from Texas, which turned out to be Stevie Ray Vaughan. So, I love but, Stevie Ray Vaughan. Oh, I know. Who doesn't love that guy? 
But then I see that you're actually there on TV at the MTV studios and they feature your segment with the band and, and the price tag that came along with it. And you said that you had to rob a lot of 7-Elevens to pay for it. But you said, quote, don't tell the band, but I actually would have paid a whole lot more, which is pretty funny, pretty funny, because that was a large chunk of change. You know, if I could take it back, <laughs> I would have exchanged that phrase to saying the band was amazing. They were terrific. They made it, you yeah. know, they, they, they were awesome. They made it every penny's worth. That sounds like New England type of sense of humor. So I got it 100%. And you, you said something, you, you, you'd love to have them play your birthday party or something. You'd like to fly them out. At the end of all the cameras and, uh, and interviews and everything else, you know, I, I said to them, look, this is about as good as it gets for a fan. You really cannot draw or write this up. This right. is as good as it gets for a fan. Told the guys, I'll fly them out. And <laughs> do they do birthday parties. I'll fly them out the whole nine yards. And Angus sort of smiled. So you're sitting across from Angus Young cracking jokes like that. And um, right. so Angus sort of smiles, but he gets it. You wanted to keep the party going. I get it. I get it. And it's cool that you were, I mean, not only did you get to play with them, but then you get to sit in the MTV studios and watch ACDC play live, which is never happened before, never will again. And they played uh, Stiff Upper Lip, which was a brand new song. And then there was some sort of online vote between Dirty Deeds, Highway to Hell, and Back in Black, right? Correct. For the second song. They ended up playing Back in Black, is that right? They ended up playing Back in Black, and Brian says, ooh, that's a hard one. And um, because, you know, Brian is good sport, but like, you know, it's hard to be a lead singer for ACDC. You have to, like, reach. Yeah. And yeah. Um, so they played that. A lot of words so, in that one. A lot of words in that one. And so it was right there. And, again, it's another whole surreal experience. So what? So the aftermath, you, you, you leave New York City, you have these amazing experience, your 15 minutes of fame. What was the aftermath for you? after that how how did did you get more dates were people coming out of the woodwork gold digging you i had follow-up inter, uh, radio interviews and like tv stations seattle were interviewing me they kind of my house yeah so they they were going on tour then and i was given a, you know some contact information i said you know i'd like to go see the show can you help me out with this he forwarded me the email address to their assistant tour manager he's the big guy that you see in a lot of pictures. With oh yeah. Angus. Yeah. He's like seven feet tall. He's, he's huge. He's a sweetheart. And so, <laughs> um, but you don't want to mess with him. And so Angus right. would be five, two and a half. He has this big guy overlooking him. And, you know, so it looks really disparate, but, uh, and so I emailed him and he said, well, I've been expecting your email. So you're taken care of whatever show you want to go to, just email me and we'll take care of it. From then on out. Wow. You got the golden ticket, man. I had the golden ticket. Oh, my God. That's amazing. And so from then on out, I just made a regiment when they're on tour to go see every Saturday night ACDC show in the U.S. or Canada. Wow. So you've been bitten by the bug. You can't, you can't get enough of it. I can't get enough of it. And I went to a whole lot of ACDC shows. And all this time, I made a lot of friends, you know, ACDC fans who are traveling around to see the band. So I, I met yes. a lot of good friends 
And we're still friends to this day. Roger Lee, if you're out there, Roger to the Dodger. <laughs> there's like an ACDC fan hall of fame somewhere, you know, there's, there's like 25 core fans that everyone knows, isn't there? It's just really, really fun. I lived a child, you know, teenager dream where I could, uh, you know, go play and jam with this band and then follow them around on tour and then, you know, arrange meet and greets with, you know, ACDC cover bands, you know, Hell's Bells, which is pretty much the first female cover band. Yeah, great band. They started with Ohm as lead singer, Ohm Johari, and Nancy, the guitarist. Okay. You want to hear another crazy story? I introduced them to the band at a backstage show. So Hell's Bells, you know, was going strong, did well, and they're still doing well. So there's a lot of struggling bands out there that just can't, you know, they're struggling to pay the bills. But Hell's Bells is out there making good money. Anyway, I get a call from one of the gals in Hell's Bells. This, this is back in um, 2003, I think it is. And ACDC is mm -hmm. about to launch, you know, a European tour. Turns out Malcolm had tracked them down <laughs> and asked them if they want to do be the opening act for them on their European tour. You're kidding me. No. Wow. So they were in Canada at the time touring. They couldn't do it because they didn't have all their passports in order. Oh, my God. I would have loved to have seen House Bells opening up for ACDC. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're, you're right. They're an amazing band. I, I actually did see them in Seattle, and I was very impressed with them as, as players. And they played some great deep cuts. And as a fan, that's what you want to hear because you always hear pretty much the same songs, the classic ACDC songs, when you go to a, a traditional ACDC show. But... The tribute bands, they can pull out those deep cuts, and they did. They were great. They were awesome. And um, it just keeps going and going. Through Facebook and everything else, I've got to meet a lot of other, uh, really diehard ACDC fans. And I, this wouldn't happen unless, you know, Angus and Malcolm and the guys were welcoming, you know, with open arms, their diehard fans. And that's just right. one part of why, you know, they've remained successful to this day. They're fans, yeah. They they get it. They um, and it, think about someone like yourself, who's, you know, you've you've received a bachelor of bachelor's in political science, um, pre law at Montana State, uh, doctorate at Seattle University of Law, and then uh, also became a professor. And you know, you're just a straight up ACDC fan. It's pretty. It just goes to show you. Um, how ACDC's influenced so many different, diverse people from socioeconomic backgrounds around the globe. It's just, it's kind of fascinating, which is what Beyond the Thunder is all about. Do you ever bring up ACDC questions in, in class? <laughs> uh, I, would, I would bring up, um, you know, favorite references. And if someone, you know, just, and some people get it and some people don't. Right. You know, I, I did the money mention stuff. Angus refers to me as a stockbroker. Uh, and, which is like an easy thing to use. I'm not a stockbroker, but like if you go to ACC show, there's a very wide demographic sure. of people there. There are people there who are young, who are learning it, and and there are people who are literally in a wheelchair. And right. uh, so there's people across all sections. But I I will not forget, it's, it's sort of stuck in my mind. This is Stipper Lip Tour, and it was Detroit. And I saw, yep. you know, there's there's a couple of gals who are probably, you know, 18 or 20 walking out 
they're saying, I've never seen anything like that. That's great. That is just amazing. I've never seen anything like that. Generational now. A generational amount. But if you've been to a lot of shows, but you haven't seen an ACG show, you've never seen anything like it because they weren't manufactured in a studio. So ACDC in a studio is a real deal. And so when you see the live show, it's pretty much what you heard on the album. That is was rare 20 years ago. And now it's even more rare. But that's the only way ACDC will ever record an album. Right. Yeah, old school. Old school. And so you attended a lot of um, uh, these meet and greets. And you had mentioned at one point you were, I think you were in Chicago and you said you were talking with Brian Brian Johnson until the place shut down. Is that correct? Yeah, the place shut down. Brian was there and Cliff and and Phil were there and Angus was there for a short term. Uh, Phil and Cliff, you know, they're really great guys. They're not really, you know, talkative a, a lot, but Brian is. Nobody... Right. Brian is the speaker of the band. So there's like professional athletes there and famous people there and everything else. And, you know, Brian's engaging all of them and cracking jokes like, you know, I'm so old, I have to take a half a Viagra to keep from pissing down my leg. And, uh, <laughs> and everybody congregates around Brian and um, he drinks white wine. And then they figured out that I drink red wine, so they'd keep red wine stocked at the uh, meet and greets. You're like the sixth member of the band now. <laughs> Everybody's left the building, so I was talking with Brian, and it just kept going on and on and on after the show. And then some guy came and said, Brian, we have to go. The bus is leaving. <laughs> I said, okay, okay. And then I start walking out. You know, I'm looking for the exit. I'm walking down these, all these halls, and I walk in sort of like the arena area, and there's nobody there. There's no one anywhere. And then I finally right. found the front doors and I look at my watch and it's like two in the morning. Wow. And um, so, so I spent a couple hours talking, talking with Brian and we're just chit-chatting and he's a very friendly, fun guy. It sounds like your money has paid for itself at this point. You, you know, it was a good investment. You know, when um, during the MTV uh, Total Request Live thing, and Angus says on there, <laughs> it was a good investment. And that was the best investment of my life, without question. Well, Wade, it has been a pleasure to finally catch up with you and all these years later and, and meet an ACDC fan where no dollar value is too great to celebrate this magic thing we call ACDC. And thanks for putting your money where your mouth is. Instead of money made, we're going to call this episode Money Wade. <laughs> we'll, we'll leave you with one final question. One final question we ask all of our guests. If you had to describe ACDC in one word, what would it be? Energy. ACDC Beyond the Thunder theme song, Trailer Trash, written and performed by Gannon Arnold. VO Talent by Bruce Jacobson. Cinematography and sound recording by Greg Ferguson. Edited and mixed by Eric Keel. Written, directed, and hosted by Kurt Squires. Produced by Greg Ferguson, Eric Keel, and Kurt Squires. ACDC Beyond the Thunder is a Squires LLC current motion production. Copyright Beyond the Thunder podcast, all rights reserved. This has been a Nat Attack presentation. Shazbot. Nanu Nanu. Nanu.